now. Scotland's talking. Call 0333-2020-401 and join the debate. Yes, indeed, the programme would not be what it is without you calling in. So come on, let's hear your comments. 0333 on what we're talking about today. Now, on the programme this morning, we'll be hearing from a woman who survived a horrific crash which killed her friend. They collided head-on with boy racers who were doing 140 miles an hour. It took me several months actually just to even get back into the front seat of a car. Every time I see headlights coming towards me at night, it kind of triggers again, memories of, of what happened. Gillian's speaking out for the first time in support of a campaign to stop it happening again. I'd like you to listen to her story and then tell me if it's changed your view on speed cameras. Also coming up between now and midday, what do you think and who do you think has had the right response in the spy poisoning scandal? The Prime Minister, who is pointing the finger of blame at the Russians. They have treated the use of a military-grade nerve agent in Europe with sarcasm, contempt and defiance. Or is the leader of the opposition right to ask questions? Has high-resolution trace analysis been run on a sample of the nerve agent and has that revealed any evidence as to the location of its production or the identity of its perpetrators? So who's got it correct? Let's have your views. Also, are NIMBYs holding up new housing developments where you live? As soon as I hear about a digger being on site to start excavations, you hear about people chaining themselves to diggers. I'll do that if I have to. That's George, who's determined to stop plans for a site next to Culloden Battlefield. More about that on the way. This is Scotland's Talking. As I say, the number is 0333 2020 401. Look forward to your calls. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. Scotland's Talking on a Sunday morning. Now, if we ask drivers what some of their biggest frustrations are on the roads, no doubt speed cameras will be among them. But we're going to hear about a new campaign which might just change attitudes towards them. Joining us this morning is our reporter Natasha Reid to tell us a wee bit more about it. Good morning Natasha. Good morning. Yes, so our campaign Jones Legacy is calling for speed cameras to be installed on a stretch of the A77, one of the main roads in air. And I know at first that might attract some negative reactions but there is a good reason for it. Something which happened just over a year ago. A woman has been killed in a head-on crash on the A77 road in Ayr. It happened around half nine last night near to the Holmston roundabout. Misunderstood the driver of the other car had been racing. This came about 10 o'clock at night, uh, which is just when I would be expecting Joan back. Uh, sometimes though she hang on a wee bit for a chat, so I wasn't getting too unduly worried at 10. Sometimes she wouldn't be home till half 10. Uh, but it was a shock when the, the bell rang and the police were there and... Uh, informed me of what happened. Big, big shock. I had to contact some relatives. I had to go to the hospital. Uh, within about an hour of the police arriving here, the policeman took me to the air hospital uh, where I had to formally identify Joan's body. Uh, so that was very hard. That's Colin Price, who I've started this campaign with. It was his 59-year-old wife, Joan, who was killed in the car crash. A very brave man there, uh, Natasha, for speaking out about it. So... 
What actually happened for those who don't know what caused this crash? Yep, so Joan was on her way home from band practice with her friend Gillian Kay in the car. They just turned on to the A77 when another car ploughed head-on into them. Joan was killed instantly and Gillian was seriously injured. But what's really striking about this particular crash is that the driver who hit Joan's car was uh, another teenager racing at 140 miles an hour and both of them fled the scene. I was shocked when I realised it was a, a hit and run. Uh, at the time when the police came, it was a bad enough shock just to be told my wife had been killed in a, a car accident. And then a few minutes later for the police to say it was a hit and run and the, the drivers had run away. That was just like a, a double whammy to me that someone could uh, smash into another car and leave two women lying there, just run away. That was uh, really hard to take. It's hard not to feel angry, but I'm quite a logical person and I know it's not going to do any good. Uh, if it did any good and we could bring Joan back or whatever, I would be as angry as, as, as possible. But I know it's not, being angry is not going to solve anything. Joan's gone, she's not going to come back. So all we can do is try and prevent this happening to some other family. Now we'll come back to what we're trying to do to stop it from happening again in a minute. But first... What happened to those drivers who were racing, Natasha? So the police did an appeal through the media the next day because they'd fled the scene and they were eventually caught. The driver who hit Joan's car was 20-year-old Logan Knox. He pleaded guilty to causing death by dangerous driving and was jailed for five years and four months. Interestingly, the second driver, 19-year-old John Gribben, who didn't actually hit Joan's car but was still involved in the race, was also convicted for causing death by dangerous driving and sentenced to four years. But he got an extra two years on top of that for another dangerous driving offence just two months after Joan's death. Quite a shocking case. Uh, and what about Gillian, who was in the car with Joan? Yeah, she's had a really tough time this last year because of what happened. She's still using crutches because the crash shattered her heel and she hasn't been able to work. Now, Gillian had never spoken publicly about it before, but agreed to an interview with us to support the campaign. It's been very, very tough, very difficult. The accident and the injuries I've been left with have had like a massive impact on my life. I think the first thing I remember was I smelt smoke and I remember panicking, thinking that the car was on fire. Um, but I think all I was smelling was the, the smoke from the, the airbags. I remember seeing the airbags kind of all drippy um, and I looked over and I saw Joan um, kind of slumping forward in, in her seat. And how did you feel then? I was just... I was just, I was so upset, like um, just I don't even think I could describe how bad I felt. When did you find out what had actually happened with with these two boys? I think I think it was the following day. I do kind of recall conversations at the scene about that they had left left the scene of the accident. And how did you feel hearing that? It's very upsetting that somebody somebody could have or two people could have caused an accident as severe as that, taking the life of one of the loveliest women you would you could ever meet, purely for the sake of, of them having a race. It's just unbelievable that, that they could choose to, to drive like that and, and do that. Are you angry with them? I don't I don't think I I don't think I was so much initially, um but I think the more the more you kind of learn about it, yeah, there there is a bit of a bit of anger there. My husband passed away a couple of weeks ago and I just feel that they've robbed robbed us of kind of like the last year, sorry. <laughs> just that they've, they've robbed us of the last kind of year of our marriage that it shouldn't have been how it was last year.
Heartbreaking there to hear the impact this crash has had on Joan's family, but on Gillian's there as well. And easy to understand now why something needs to be done. And I guess that's where this campaign comes in. So what is the aim of Joan's legacy? So as I mentioned at the start, it is a campaign for speed cameras. Now, the A77 was the first road in Scotland to be equipped with the average speed cameras. This is a system that measures your speeds over a long stretch of a journey. It takes note of when you drive into the zone and then again when you pass the second camera, which could be many miles down the road. The system does a calculation of how long it's taken you to get from point A to point B and uses that to work out whether you've been speeding. As I say, the A77 between Symington and Stranraer was the first to get it after a lot of campaigning led by our station West Sound and it's since been fitted to the A9 between Dunblane and Inverness and the A98 between Dundee and Stonehaven. But there was a gap in the system on the A77 where the road bypasses air and it's notorious for attracting young drivers in their cars who race up and down it at all hours of the night. I spoke to Chief Inspector Gary Ayanson, who's the man in charge of police in South Ayrshire. We get reports from, from members of the public saying that this stretch of road uh, sometimes is subject to uh, young drivers driving too fast. It only takes one tragic incident like this to have uh, kind of real widespread consequences and the real ripple effect is absolutely tragic. Obviously the police can't be here all the time though. Do you think something else needs to be done? I certainly would be very supportive of anything, any form of, of road engineering or average speed cameras or, or anything that think could be here all the time. Uh, anything that would help uh, make the roads safer. And the police aren't the only ones supporting our campaign for speed cameras. We've also been speaking to the road safety charity Break and community engagement manager there, Dave Nicholl. It's something that is dreadful and, and we know only too well the heartache and upset that it causes not only those families directly affected, but it's the communities and the, the wider reach that, that this impact has. We know that speed cameras are a cost-effective, evidence-proven way to reduce speeds on our roads. And we would really encourage anybody to support this campaign in memory of Joan to make sure that others don't have to go through the trauma that her family has. And that's what's at the forefront of this campaign. We've had hundreds of signatures already on a petition we're running online, which we'll submit to Transport Minister Hamza Yousaf. And hopefully he can get the ball rolling on this to see speed cameras on this road. Joan's husband, Colin, believes if they'd been there in the first place, Joan might still be alive. Oh, I'm 100% certain that the, the two boys wouldn't have been driving the way they were if they had thought they might have been caught on camera that night. Uh, definitely 100% sure about that. So I think if there had been cameras in this road, Joan would still have been here. Joan was unlucky. It was her. It could have been you. It could have been any of your family, any of your wife's, husband's, children. Any, it could have happened to anyone that night uh, so it's important that we get something done about this road otherwise it could be you that's getting a knock on the, on the door from the police at 10 o'clock at night with some bad news and we don't want that to happen. Well it certainly puts into perspective one reason why speed cameras are there and how important they are but let, let's open up now and see if it's made you perhaps change your attitude towards speed cameras. Are they the answer? Do you think they can save lives? And have you found yourself slowing down since they were installed on the uh, Dumblane up to, to Perth section and also now, of course, from Forfur, well, from Dundee, really, up to Stonehaven? These are two roads, along with the A77, that I drive quite on a regular basis. And I have to say, I'm guilty of now 
watching for the speed cameras. And if I put a car, if I'm in a car uh, that I'm driving with a cruise control, it will be set at the beginning of it. So yes, on these roads, it has made a difference to my driving. But what do you think? Give us a call. Let us know what your thoughts are. Here's the number, 0333-202401. You can text 61054, start your message with Ali. You can, of course, if you're on Twitter, contact us on Twitter, which is hashtag Scotland's Talking. And you can email Ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk. Natasha, thank you very much indeed for joining us this Sunday morning. Thank you. So, asking you your... Uh, 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 your mindset, I suppose, to speed cameras. I remember when it was first announced, particularly on the stretch from Dumblain to Perth, when it was first announced that speed, average speed cameras were going on that stretch of the road. There was all sorts of protests, and this is ridiculous, not required, etc. And like everything else, I suppose, we just get used to them and, and drive within the limits that we're supposed to drive in the first place anyway. Uh, but what are, what are your thoughts on speed cameras? Good, bad, indifferent? Do you always stick to the speed speeds anyway and uh, if you are in Ayrshire and y you know you have particular feelings about whether this should be extended to the part that they are not at the moment then that, let's hear from you once again the number 0333 2020 or you can email ali at thegreatesthits.co.uk and text 61054 start your message with Ali and of course there's hashtag Scotland's Talking on Twitter uh, Willie good morning to you good morning Ali Ali, I've spoken previously about my own personal experience. My uh, two-year-old granddaughter, Harlow, was, was killed by a dangerous driver who was driving at speed. Um, all I can say is, since then, uh, I, I rail every day at cars going at excessive speed. There's nothing at all seems to, to get through to people who want to drive fast. So make sure they're caught, make sure they're punished. I've had this week to, to look at posts from my daughter who lost her daughter about the, the, the area where the accident happened and she has witnessed all week lorries, cars hurling through that area. There is actually speed calming measures being put in place, but they haven't been switched on yet. And my daughter is is uh, just waiting for the speed uh, speed um, things to come on mm -hmm. and and help the situation. Because, as I say, she takes uh, my grandchildren to school and she sees these fools continuing to speed along the road that where the accident happened. Uh, the only way to stop them is to make it physically impossible for them to do it without being um, pulled up for it. I mean, it, when um, the accident happened with, with Harlow, your granddaughter, it, it wasn't just speeding that was involved there, it was dangerous driving as well, wasn't it? Yeah, the, the, the person who did it um, was was basically out of control. Mm. He, he uh, had been wound up by someone else to such an extent that he totally lost control and sped 
he was spotted throughout Perthshire driving like a, a maniac. Yeah, and and, and he, he, that's what I mean. It was it was. I'm just painting the uh, the picture for our listeners who may not know the area, which which I do, and I obviously know about um, the loss for your daughter and for yourself of Harlow. But it was through a built-up area where these speed cameras tend to be on motorways, etc. As well, but yes. it wasn't just speed. That's what I, I was I was trying to get at there. Yeah, but but even on on the motorway situation, I mean, we see it every day. I, I travel regularly to Glasgow, and the amount of speeding you see is is frightening, and it's simply because people can do it almost with impunity. They know. Unless something dreadful happens, they're not really going to get caught. And if if there was average speed cameras all over the country to to regulate this, there were so many accidents that wouldn't happen because the the people their own self preservation instinct would kick in and it'd slow down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would it would be. Um, I'm just reading here uh, one that's coming in social media, and it's from Stuart, and he says, "I travel the A9 uh, Perth to Inverness. Is actually drive from Glasgow up to Inverness on a regular basis, and whilst the average speed cameras they do their job, uh, it would seem that those with foreign number plates uh, just don't take any heed to them at all. They hammer past you at a heck of a rate. And there's been quite a few accidents on that road involving uh, foreign motorists. How do we stop these people who obviously think that um, a flash of a camera won't won't harm them and they'll never catch up with them in their country? Which is a very good point, isn't it? Well, obviously, that's down to policing and international agreements even. But um, I, I just say, if one person is stopped doing that by the, the, the positioning of these speed cameras, then they're doing their job. The, there are far too many accidents happening because people believe that they have the right to drive at whatever insane speed they feel like, whereas if they were driving within the limit, the accidents would drop. I'm convinced of that. Willie, thank you very much indeed for your call once again. 27 minutes now after 10. If you have a view on average speed cameras, which is what we're we're, we're talking about, do, do they actually work? Do they slow you down? Um, or um, do you just stick to the limit? Anyway, uh, if you have an, a view, and we're talking about the A77, um, where the section where they are not there, where there are no speed cameras, that campaign on at the moment to get them installed in that area. Give us a call. Oh, Treble 3 2020 You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Henry's on the line. Henry, uh, very good morning to you. Morning, Ali. Morning. What's your point then? Well, I drive the A9, A90 and the 96 on a daily basis. And I've found on the A9 in particular the biggest improvement on that road was actually raising the speed limit for lorries. Right. It done away with a lot of hold-ups, and it stopped people having to overtake when really they shouldn't have been. So Not remi- so much speed they're doing, right. but chancing their arm at overtaking when they shouldn't, because they've been held up for so long. Yeah, yeah, frustration more than anything. Yeah. Because the majority of the road accidents on that road 
didn't actually involve people speeding. Just bad driving, and cameras don't detect that. Do you think people's driving habits then have got better? Because the it would seem that the you're saying you know the speed cameras um, don't stop bad driving, which is true. But there has been a reduction in accidents on that road since the cameras went up, hasn't there? Yes, but it also coincided with the increase in the lorry speed. Right. So you don't get won't name them, but particular supermarket brands who made their lorries stick to bang on 40 mile an hour. Mm-hmm. They're now doing 50. There's not so many hold-ups. Right, right. And as, so that made a big difference. And as the road becomes more and more dual carriageway, then do you think that will help even more? Oh, yeah, obviously. Yeah, yeah, because you, you're, you're right. It's the frustration of getting stuck behind one of the, the long... Food vehicles, as you say, heading yeah. up and down that road. It's very frustrating. Uh-huh. But now that they're going that little bit quicker, it's eased the hold-ups. Right. And day 90 from Dundee to Stonehaven, I'm not quite sure how that works, because I can be sitting at the speed limit. I drive a van, so my speed limit's 60 on the dual carriageway. I can be overtaken by a bus towing a trailer and it disappears into the distance. It's interesting. I've got a, a comment coming up on social media here from from uh, Wayne, who makes that same point. We'll come to that in a moment. But, Henry, for the moment, thank you very much indeed for, for okay, your then. comments. Good to have uh, a comment of a professional driver. Thank you very much. So, talking about speed cameras and do they work? Squeeze and up the junction. So uh, we've been asking, uh, just in case you missed the start of the programme, asking if uh, one of your biggest frustrations on the roads uh, often comes out as people saying uh, speed cameras. But we've been hearing this morning of Joan's legacy. And this is on the A77, Kilmarnock uh, to Air Road, that whole stretch there where there was an accident and Joan was killed on the part that does not have speed cameras and asking, you know, if, if they had been there and indeed if you want them, and, and not just in that area, but in general terms. And so far it would certainly seem uh, yes that way. Uh, answering the calls and looking some at the social media is Sol. What do you got first? What, who's saying what? Liz's tweet, um, text in this morning and she has said, Morning, about speed cameras, I think they are needed on the so-called dangerous long stretches of roads as some people tend to go over the limits on these kinds of roads. But I also think you will get people who will disregard the speed signs, unfortunately. Mm, and I've got one in from Suzanne. And she says, the read the speed cameras. I don't think a single speed camera is the solution. I'm a believer in bringing in the same rules for young drivers and young motorbike riders, whereby you have restrictions on powerful cars until a certain age. So you can't just um, pass your test and then get into... Uh, uh, a very powerful car, but at the end of the day, it's still speed. You're a new driver. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you think there should be different rules for drivers for a couple of years? Um, no matter what age you are. No, so, you know, if you were to pass your test at 17 uh-huh. and someone else was to pass it, but they didn't sit their test until they were 47, um, the same two years restriction should come in. That's a hard question because I'm a, well, I'm a sensible driver, so I stick to the speed limit. But I know there's people my age 
who won't? Who won't stick to the speed limit. So I think it's a tricky question. Okay. Right, your next one, have you got another one? Yeah, I've got another one. Um, Wayne's text in. Ali, I travel between Dundee and Four for most days. One night a car flew past me doing well over 100 miles per hour and turned off of the A90 before they hit the next speed camera. I think more cameras need to be installed. So yeah, Wayne calling for more cameras on the roads. And and there's a, and that's a section of the road that uh, actually has them at the moment. Right, thank you. Back to the calls then. We'll let you go and answer some more. The number is 033 2020 And also, keep the calls coming in for, for speeding. Uh, you know, if you've got a comment, that's fine. But I, I just also want to introduce this subject here. Do you have NIMBYs? In your neighbourhood. I know, you're scratching your head. What's he going on about now? Not in my backyard. Yeah, that's what NIMBY means. Oh, yes, build it anywhere you like, but not in my backyard. Are there plans for new housing where you live which are causing a bit of a, a, a controversy? Is a shortage of homes driving people out of the area or has a development ruined your quality of life and taken away one of the reasons you like living where you do? We're asking because one of Scotland's most controversial housing plans has been back in the news. 100,000 people have signed petitions against plans for 16 luxury homes a couple of hundred yards from the site of Culloden Battlefield, where Bonnie Prince Charlie's Jacobite Rebellion was crushed in 1746. After four years of wrangling, Highland councillors gave their approval on Tuesday only for the whole thing to be thrown into doubt when two SNP members said they'd pressed the wrong button by mistake. George Kempit is one of the leading voices in the group to stop development at Culloden. He told our reporter Brian Rutherford why it mustn't be allowed to go ahead. You Hill, it's, it's a high point. And I, I mean, I, I, any battlefield... Uh, expert will tell you the high ground is, is an important part of, of, of any any battle. So, Buhill, uh, it would look like was a very important part of, of certainly the mustering of, of the troops. They had high variant troops, so they came from that direction. But uh, when when the Highlanders were retreating, they, they retreated in that direction uh, and were slaughtered. And it's expected that they were they were buried. Uh, basically where they fell uh, and that's in that area uh, I mean there are already I mean, there's known, there's known uh, sort of archaeological finds up there but uh, there's not been a proper archaeological dig or uh, a proper archaeological survey done on, on that area and yeah probably or possibly a lot of it has been spoiled by the fact that these sheds were there uh, but as I keep saying, that was then, this is now, we have an opportunity to save that that part of the battlefield. Who's to know how important that part of the battlefield could be to to our nation? It's one thing saying um, that, you know, you'll, you'll take action, but can you be very clear about what will happen if this is given the go-ahead and we see the building start? I can't speak for anyone else. Obviously, I'm, I'm expecting to get support. Uh, but I personally will, I am prepared to be arrested. Uh, I am prepared to go up there. As soon as I hear about a digger being on site to start excavations, I am prepared to go on site and you hear about people chaining themselves to diggers. I'll do that if I have to. I mean, that is the plan. And, and, and from what I'm, I'm, I'm hearing, 
others are there to support me in that. We, we know we've got uh, 77,000 people who have signed a petition. Uh, we've got 5,500 members in our group. But we feel that this, that this should be on, on national news, uh, this issue. This is, a, this is an internationally known battlefield. The Battle of Culloden has, 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 has repercussions all over the world. We've got to make sure that, that, that they don't... What they, what they would rather do is walk away from, from building these houses than, uh, than suffer the bad publicity that we hope we can create if they start building houses there. And as I said, I personally am prepared to get arrested for it. Well, the developers Kirkwood have sent us a statement. Find out what they say in a moment. Scotland's talking. The podcast. So, do you have a NIMBY in your neighbourhood? Not in my backyard. 100,000 people have signed petitions against plans for 16 luxury homes a couple of hundred yards from the site of the Culloden battlefield, where Bonnie Prince Charlie's Jacobite rebellion was crushed in 1746. Just before the break there, we heard our reporter Brian Rutherford chatting to George Kembit, who's one of the leading voices in the group to stop development at Culloden. And I did say that the developer Kirkwood has sent us a statement. So, so this is the main points of it. They say we welcome the decision as it allows our plans to take a step forward and bring our high-quality luxury homes to the area, as well as sustain and create jobs for local people. Our revised submission has been amended to reflect the requests of the Highland Council and ensure that the homes are in keeping with and considerate of the surrounding area. Throughout this process, we work closely with Highland Council to ensure we comply fully with all their suggestions and amendments. Our plans are in line with their requirement. So, on one hand, we hear all the time that there's a shortage of housing in Scotland. We need to build more and build them faster. And yet when developments are planned, it seems there's never a shortage of people coming forward to say, no, no, can't happen here, take it somewhere else. Yes, I know we need new houses, but not next to me, please. I love that green field. So what's the answer? Is something like that happening in your area? You know, is, is there a plan to build some houses? Now, I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't know the background to this, but I, I mean, I'm thinking here, um, you know, these houses will not be uh, of the, the smaller type. They'll be larger houses, I would imagine. I don't know what price range they're in, but, um, uh, you know, we talk about a shortage of housing in Scotland, but are we really short of the four-bedroomed, uh, very big-type houses? Is that not what developers are building? I don't know. Is it, you know, are you in the same situation that you don't want houses built next to you? As I say, we're, we're hearing we need new houses, we have to keep pace, and yet here's a, a, a builder... A developer willing to put money where their mouth is, um, but I've had to go through all of the, the hoops and hurdles that they've had to do. What I find amazing is that the two council members saying they pressed the wrong button on the vote. Goodness sake. If you're a council and you can't get the right button. Good grief. Um, so, give me a call. What's your thoughts? 0333 2020 401 is the number. I think we're going to go back to speeding, though. John's here. Hi, John. Hi, Ali. How are you doing, my friend? Fine, thank you. Is it speeding you wish to talk about? Yes, it is indeed. Um, I quite agree with putting speed cameras up, but nine times out of ten, Ali, they go up, not for the purpose of safety, but for the purpose of finance. 
um, a far easier and better way as if the producers of vehicles governed were cars, all cars. 70 mile an hour is what you're allowed to do in this country. Have them governed for 70 mile an hour, and if you want to go further than that, pay extra for the courtesy. It's the big car manufacturers, Ali. Bring the, the speed down now. You can't tell me that in today's technology, that instead of having speed cameras that flash you when you're going too fast and take all sorts of money off you, why can you not have a system where when you're travelling through an area it's restricted, that there's something on the road that restricts the motor, mm -hmm. that brings it down to the speed, that keeps it at the speed. It's all money-making alley. I mean, there was a thing put up in um, the city centre of Glasgow where from 6 o'clock in the morning to 6 o'clock at night, the area is round about George Square as a bus lane. Never tell anybody, just put it up. And as far as I'm led to believe, made over a quarter of a million pounds in the first six months. Now, if you're worried about speed and all the rest of it, as I say, speak to the, the producers of the vehicles. Well, 70 you, mile an yeah. hour. You, you wouldn't really need to go that far, I don't think, to speak to the... Well, it would need a bit of technology, but I'm thinking of some of the cars that... Um, are coming out now uh, and, and have done for a couple of years, more than that probably, uh, if you enter into um, a, a, an area that is 30 miles per hour, uh, it will, up on your dashboard, will come uh, 30 with a little sign, right? Yeah. So it comes up. Yeah, and, and the moment you go over that 30, it starts flashing. So yeah. it draws your attention. So it would Back just it. Uh, right. So it would just be another step, wouldn't it? That if you went yeah. over thirty, the car wouldn't allow you to do it. Yes. Yes. Very, very. So I would imagine it wouldn't be that difficult to do. Alan. Can you imagine? But, can you imagine the councils and the government's reaction to that? They would be absolutely up in arms. How would they? Aye, because it wouldn't be. They wouldn't be taking any money out of the Alley. Correct, that there'd be another revenue source gone. So I don't see that happening. Yeah. I don't see that happening anytime soon, John. Right, well now that we've had that discussion, Ali, then where is the point in bleating about speed cameras then? If we have a, a purpose and we have a means to the problem, a means to solve the problem, but it's going to kick them financially and they're not prepared to do it then why should the motorist be hammered every week with flashing cameras and £100 fines all over the place? OK, John, going to have to leave it there. We are out of time for this hour. We've got the news in a moment. Uh, continue taking your calls and your comments, of course, are more than welcome. And in the next hour, looking for your opinion on the state we've got ourselves in with Russia. Who's right? Who's wrong? What side are you on? You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. We've been talking speed cameras in the, uh, the, the, the story about uh, Joe's legacy. We've been talking about them and, and how you feel about them, um, particularly on the A77 where there is a section that doesn't have them and that's what the whole campaign is about. Um, so I'm getting some interesting comments, uh, particularly on social media coming through. Uh, so we'll talk about them in a few moments. Uh, but first of all, keep the calls coming in on if you've got thoughts on the speed cameras, by the way. Uh, delighted to, to hear from you. And also, we've been talking about uh, getting planning permission um, when people object 
object to, to planning permission being given for a housing development, yet we are being told that uh, you know, we need to build more houses. Um, but there's a, a comment come in here um, and it says, Ali, Culloden should be made consecrated ground and nobody should be able to, uh, to build on it. So maybe that, that's part of the, the story of that particular um, development and the fact that it is something that is very special. Uh, we'll find out, keep the scores coming in uh, regarding that one as well. But like me, You've probably been following the developments in the Salisbury spy poisoning case over the last week or so. I followed it with a close interest because Salisbury is one of these places that um, when when we've been doing the 60s gold tour, where, uh, you know, and, and I compared it for about eight or nine years, Salisbury was always on the list. So I've walked around where they were, the park bench, or it wasn't so much a park bench, it was a shopping centre bench they were sitting on uh, where they were found. I've, I've walked around that area so many times. So so it, when the pictures come up on television, you go, oh, been there quite a lot. I've been in that shop, etc. So it has proved an interest to me. But countries, they've been lining up to support the UK and the Americans are among those backing claims that Russia was to blame. Now, Prime Minister Theresa May gave 23 Russian diplomats their marching orders. And, of course, as expected, the Russians have retaliated with a similar amount getting kicked out of there. But there's a split in the reaction amongst British politicians. And this morning, I'm going to ask whether you're backing Theresa May or Jeremy Corbyn. Here's a reminder of what the Prime Minister said in the Commons on Wednesday. Mr Speaker, on Monday I set out that Mr Skripal and his daughter were poisoned with a Novichok, a military-grade nerve agent developed by Russia. Based on this capability combined with their record of conducting state-sponsored assassinations, including against former intelligence officers whom they regard as legitimate targets, the UK government concluded that it was highly likely that Russia was responsible for this reckless and despicable act. And there were only two plausible explanations. Either this was a direct act by the Russian state against our country, or conceivably the Russian government could have lost control of a military-grade nerve agent and allowed it to get into the hands of others. Mr Speaker, it was right to offer Russia the opportunity to provide an explanation. But their response has demonstrated complete disdain for the gravity of these events. They have provided no credible explanation that, they, that could suggest they lost control of their nerve agent. No explanation as to how this agent came to be used in the United Kingdom. No explanation as to why Russia has an undeclared chemical weapons programme in contravention of international law. Instead, they have treated the use of a military-grade nerve agent in Europe with sarcasm, contempt and defiance. So, Mr Speaker, there is no alternative conclusion other than that the Russian state was culpable for the attempted murder of Mr Skripal and his daughter and for threatening the lives of other British citizens in Salisbury, including Detective Sergeant Nick Bailey. This represents an unlawful use of force by the Russian state against the United Kingdom. Now, Jeremy Corbyn began his reply by joining in the condemnation. The attack in Salisbury was an appalling act of violence. Nerve agents are abominable if used in any war. It is utterly reckless to use them in a civilian environment. But then he started asking questions. 
which was unpopular among some in his own party, as well as the Tories. Has the Prime Minister taken the necessary steps under the Chemical Weapons Convention to make a formal request for evidence from the Russian government under Article 9.2? How has she responded to the Russian government's request for a sample of the agent used in the Salisbury attack to run its own tests? Has high-resolution trace analysis been run on a sample of the nerve agent, and has that revealed any evidence as to the location of its production or the identity of its perpetrators? And can the Prime Minister update the House on what conversations, if any, she has had with the Russian government? And while, and while suspending planned high-level contacts, does the Prime Minister agree that it is essential to maintain a robust dialogue with Russia? Mr Corbyn got support from former First Minister Alex Salmond, who's been put under pressure, again, about his decision to host a chat show on the Russian-funded TV channel RT. The chemical poisoning in Salisbury was a heinous crime and should be universally condemned. The best way to deal with crime is to take the suspects when identified through the courts domestic and international. The UK government is totally convinced that the Russian state is involved and are therefore entitled to take a range of additional measures, diplomatic and economic. Of course, it's much more effective to operate in concert with friends and allies. To succeed, the evidence has to be overwhelming and the case cast iron. As the leader of the opposition correctly pointed out to the Prime Minister, he didn't get much support for making that point in the House of Commons, but that does not make him wrong. Pursuing the case internationally is essential, and you're unlikely to succeed at the Organisation for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons or the United Nations without the production of such conclusive evidence. When the UK government produces their evidence, then the Russian government will have no alternative but to answer. Meanwhile, unilateral domestic measures, which could still have a real impact, are those which follow the money, whether it's the Magnitsky Act or something even more rigorous and far-reaching, which tackles the ill-gotten gains of the few instead of the general sanctions which hurt the many. But don't shut down TV stations because your standpoint is so uncertain that you must exclude other perspectives. So, who has got the right approach, in your opinion? Theresa? Germany? Or Alex Salmond? What do you think? Have any of them got it right? Are you happy the way it's been played out on a stage as such? And with some of the language from, you know, ministers and the way they're handling this. I mean, one minister telling the Russians to shut up and go away. Really? <laughs> Not uh, the diplomatic language I thought to myself that should be used. What is your thoughts? 033 is the number if you'd like to comment. Uh, let's go to Jonathan Rainey first of all. Hello Jonathan, how are you doing? Hi, good morning Ali, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. So Jonathan, what, what do you make of all this then? Well, to be honest with you, I'm starting to suspect that this whole spy investigation from the way Theresa May herself is handling this um, so it doesn't really seem like concrete evidence to me. I mean, at the beginning of her speech in Parliament, she said that the police, in fact, the police admitted that it's going to take many more months and it's going to be very complicated before they even 
come up with conclusive evidence, and yet she's going ahead with these sanctions, these tit-for-tat sanctions um, against Russia. And it's quite amazing how this is unfolding, and it seems we're going into another Cold War as mm. a result. Mm-hmm. But what, what do you think of the fact that she did say to the Russians, look, uh, this is your nerve agent, you know, and, and it has been... It looks as though it's been proven that it is your nerve agent. You've either got into the wrong hands, you've lost control of it, or you used it. And uh, so it was, it's either you've used it or it's got out of control. Is that not, did she not give them the right ultimatum there? Was that not the right question to ask? No, absolutely. It was not the right question to ask at all, because as I just mentioned several seconds ago, um, the police have not had conclusive evidence at all. But she in must fact, have got, she must have got that from somewhere, right. Jonathan. She, I mean, her scientists must have said, come back to her, and said, surely, she's, she, you know, if, if that's the route she's taken, I'm not saying it's the right one, but um, just for argument's sake here, if that's the route she's taken, that she's giving the ultimatum to the Russians, surely she has got that from her scientists as they've come back to her and said, yes, Prime Minister, uh, this is definitely the Russians. Well, there are scientists from the Port and Downs uh, Chemical Science Centre which actually admitted that there is not really much independent confirmation of Novichok as such. And the OPCW ironically admitted last year that Russia did get rid of all of its chemical weapons. And so if there was actually knowledge that Novichok was going to be used, they would have mentioned it a long, long time ago. And to get to the point of finding out what Russia could have benefited from uh, killing the spy, um, there would have not been uh, much motive at all. In fact, there would have not been a benefit at all to them. I mean, Mr. Skripal himself actually had worked for MI6 in recent years. And, of course, many people tend to kind of misquote the idea that uh, Vladimir Putin would have wanted him killed himself when the actual speech he made was, we don't need special services to kill traitors. Um, the traitors could could perch off the cliff themselves. And this is when he got to the point where he made the point about the 30 pieces of silver. And of course, many other former ambassadors, including Craig Murray, have been out there saying, look, the chemical itself might have been made by the Soviet Union, particularly in Nuvek in Uzbekistan. But this does not mean this was created by Russia at all. I mean, if I were to conduct uh, a complaint about uh, my television having a chip in the, back, in the front causing a slight distortion, my reaction would not be to be kind of a traitor and blame on people because Alexander Graham Bell invented the television and should have known better. So, after that then, and the way you're looking at it, Jonathan, Jeremy Corbyn was right to ask the question? Oh, yes, absolutely. So where, do, where does it go from now, then? How do they get this sorted out? Well, I guess it will depend on how the government actually does want to go forward with this, because the hysteria is absolutely getting much more bigger by the day. Mm-hmm. In fact, many other people, not just from the UK, but from elsewhere, including from NATO itself. I mean, if somebody from NATO wants to try and maybe even perhaps try and agree with Mrs May that this whole thing was an actual instant. Uh, I did see a screenshot from the Times in a comment section from a consultant called Stephen Davis, who works at the NHS Foundation Trust in Salisbury. 
he said that he confirmed that um, only three people had to be treated with significant poisoning, not the 40 or more as broadcast by not just the government, but by mainstream media mm-hmm. as well. It's interesting how how it's going, and as you say, depending upon who's going to take the next step forward. Uh, Jonathan, thank you very much indeed for your call and, and your thoughts. Uh, well thought out as well. Um, let's go to, let me see who we go to, John next. Hi, John, good morning. Good morning, Ali. Your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts is, just like the gentleman just spoke, I think he said it all, basically. I mean, I'm the man in from the cold because it's, Cold out there, just now, you know, with the snow and everything. But the situation is, they, the government, are hiding something. They definitely are hiding. Where, something. Which government? The, the the UK government? Is that what you're the talking? The UK about? government are hiding something. They're not telling us the whole story. Now, what do you think, Carly? What's your opinion on it? Um. Well, uh, initially. I have to say I was um, on the 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 side that Theresa May took and thinking to myself, well, uh, this has been used. It was it's been, uh, and I still think that she's had the advice of scientists who have said this is uh, Russia. This is what they've done. Uh, let's face it. Um, John, it's not something new for Russians to come onto our soil and and uh, cause problems like this, is it? Yeah, well, I mean, 23 tit for tat, 23 tit for tat. Will it go further, Ali? What well, do you think? Well, yeah, I do. That's that's what concerns me. I think it will go further. Uh, thank you, John. May has got this wrong. That's according to Archie in Falkirk. Thank you, Archie, for for your thoughts there. And, uh, yeah, that, that's just what I'm, I'm asking. Has Theresa May got this wrong? Uh, Jeremy Corbyn um, has, has he been rather astute here and saying hang on wait a minute yes I am saying that this is you know should not have happened but have you asked you know and then Russia comes in and asks us to send them a sample well surely the uh, the way to do it is not to just expect and and you know the, the UK government gave them 24 hours to come back and, and was that enough time when actually uh, the convention says that they should get 10 days and it should be sent to the official independent um, company that tests this out. There's so many questions, just not enough answers. Uh, I think certainly John is correct with that one. What is your thoughts? Treble 3 2020 401, that's the number. Scotland's Talking, the podcast. 11.31 is the time. Uh, talking about various subjects, we'll come back to Russia in, in a few moments. Uh, and just, you know, going through my mind, and it comes from a um, story in the, the, the news at the top of the hour there about uh, a young man who's gone missing in St Andrews since Wednesday night, Duncan. Duncan Sim, uh, a lot of family and friends out looking for him. But uh, And then it brought to mind, uh, you know, all the the searches that are going on for Liam Cogan in in Germany as well. It's just, uh, I mean, 300,000 flyers have been put out. Posties are helping in Germany trying to find him. It must be horrendous to be part of a family like Duncan's in St Andrews. He's, uh, you know, again, last seen on Wednesday night, just has disappeared. Nothing, gone. 
Um, and, and as I say, Liam Cogan over Stag. You may remember his brother Stagnet have had to postpone the wedding. It must be horrendous for a family, for somebody. I couldn't even imagine what it's like for somebody in the family like that just to go missing. You know, if, if an accident happens and something is tragic, then, then you've got an answer. But they're in two young men's families, uh, you know, in different parts of Europe. We've got Duncan missing in St Andrews and we've got Liam missing in Germany. It just seems, just, just wanted to mention it because, you know, my thoughts are with the families. I think it really must be horrendous wondering where they are. Um, so if you know anything about Duncan, uh, Simmons, St Andrews, they're all out looking for him. Uh, been missing since Wednesday night when he was out with uh, some of his mates. And also, of course, as I say, I think all the family, all Liam's family have headed off, uh, are over there at the moment, over in Germany, trying to to, to find him and, and keep the, the search. Because, again, it may worry the families that, um, oh, it's been a few days now, you know, I'm never going to find him. Has to be, has to be some thought there that uh, there will be some hopeful, positive end to both of them. Uh, Joseph is on the line. Hi, Joseph. Good morning, Ali. Morning to you. How are you? Well, I was telling you, listening to uh, what Theresa May at first light, uh, and then Jerry Corbyn comes on and gives the opposite. If if the, the Russians are causing a lot of problems in the country, why doesn't the parties unite together, Ali, and get this thing sorted out to fight against each other? All we're doing is squabbling each other, Ali, and not going any forward. I mean, I believe when communists started, it was for the people. But when these people, the leaders, like Stalin and the hit you in, and all them get the leader. They killed thousands and millions of people all because they spoke up. And Jerry Corbyn is doing the same. Hey, he could stand up in his soapbox in in, uh, in Moscow and start saying what he wanted to say. He'd be taken off their alley and disappeared with. So, steady for tip for tat, Ali. Other leaders in Britain should get together and get it sorted out. Mm-hmm. It would be nice, wouldn't it? Just uh, nice is probably not the right word. I, I mean, for the for two political parties to come together with one aim, and that is to to get to the bottom of this uh, instead of squabbling, as you say, because um, Mr. Putin and and his Russian uh, government must be sitting looking at us and thinking if if their whole aim was to disrupt what is going on in the UK, then. They've managed it, haven't they? Yes, and that's why I'm, I'm, I'm against Corbyn. If he was for the people, Ali, he wouldn't, rush, he wouldn't listen to Putin. And if he was in charge, I believe the spies would be in this country going everywhere if Jeremy Corbyn had his way. But he doesn't understand that communist is for the people, not for the government of these countries, which terrified people and disappeared all over the world. You know? What are, what are your views then on our former first minister with his Russian television show? Now, granted... It doesn't have a lot of viewers, you know, and, 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 you know, nobody's really worried about it. I mean, that's that's what the former first minister wants to do, that, you know, he is he, he was basically sacked as an MP. The, the voters voted him out. He's no different from anybody else who finds himself out of a job. He's got to go and make money somewhere. So he's he's got a stage show, he's had a radio show, and he's got this television show on Russian television. Um, do you think he should just throw the towel in on that, or is he quite right to be making money that he, he, he has to live by? Ali, he should have kept his mouth shut instead of bringing this... That's, he's only making himself worse, Ali, because people will turn well against him now, I believe, because he should have just sat back. It's a Russian television programme dimmed by the, the Russian government, and he should have kept his mouth shut and found out what was the real 
the problem was causing all this. But he, he's not in a position to know the real problem. Is no, that's what I'm saying, Ali. So I, I believe we putting his foot in it. He, he should have sat back and tried to find out the, the, the problem. And maybe... By sitting, yeah. by sitting back, sorry, I don't mean to talk over you, but by sitting back, do you mean he should have just continued doing his television show or should he just give it up? No, he could do the television show, but Ali, but keep, his, keep his thing out of the kind of thing that's to do with the government when he's not a government uh, thing anymore, like, you know. Mm -hmm. So but, he's, just, he's just acting like a, a one of the officials now, you know. He said this kept his mouth shut. OK, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, let's go to Robert next. Hi, Robert. How are you doing? I'm all right, thank you. Um, I've, I've just listened to that last caller there. Um, everybody's entitled to their opinion, right? But I think this is wrong, the way this has been handled with Theresa May, because Putin has been convicted before he's even been proven guilty. And this is the problem. The, the propaganda machine that psycho-conditioned people to believe what they hear in the newspapers and news and all the rest of it. As far as I'm, from what I've been watching and what I see with my own eyes, there is no evidence there, and I told her the evidence is there to back that up. There is no crime. Mm -hmm. And I know that the, they say that the, the chemical was made abroad, right? But, and they say that Putin should be responsible for that chemical, right? You can't hold um, one man in, uh, liable for that because you don't know where that's went and who used it. They're blaming because it's too... I, I need disrespect to the people that's involved in this, but... You can't blame somebody because the, the, the nationality is Russian, right? Because it's Russian, it's Russia. It could be anybody. And I would go to the extent of saying it could be even our government because they seem to be pushing the ball here to cause trouble with Russia. And they're, they're siding with America and other countries. And it looks to me like they're wanting to start a war. They're wanting to start World War Three, And this is what this is about. And they're just using this as an excuse. Plus, Theresa May is diverting away from all the issues at home with the people and all the problems we have. She's not got evidence as far as I'm concerned to back that up. Do you, do you not? So you, you, don't, you don't accept that she's had evidence and backup from, from government scientists then? Well, the way I see it, right, I, 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 I'm not get involved in my party, that's right, but I'm doing a lot of stuff here and where I stay, right? Right. But government bodies are all part of the government, so they can be manipulated in any way to say whatever they're told to say, and that's a fact, right? It's like that, way back, the guys, the, the, the wars, the unprovoked wars that killed millions of people, plus the fact, Theresa May's going on about this nonsense, right? What about all the arms that's been sold abroad to you? And they're doing, they're doing worse of mm -hmm. catastrophes than what has happened here. They're killing millions of people by selling worms, right? And I think this is just a diversion, propaganda machine from the media, the TV, to keep the people's minds focused on this so they don't see what's actually happening behind the doors. That's what I think. I don't think Putin... There's easier ways to take people off the numbers to be straight to the point. And I don't think you would go to a specific way of just poisoning somebody. You could pay somebody. There's easier ways. There's people get murdered in this country every day, every couple of days. Right? And there's no a big issue about it. But I think it's just propaganda. And I think they just want to get involved with America and other countries. Sanctions. The sanctions is fine against the same government. Right? There is nobody called government. There's men and women represented, right? Um, there is, it's a fictitious office, right? The thing in the matter is, people have to wake up to this nonsense, right? Every country and government are corrupt, and they always affect the people. The sanctions just doesn't affect the people in power. It affects the poor people. Mm -hmm. 
families, and this is what's the problem here. It probably affects. As far as I'm concerned, there's no evidence. It probably affects, as you say, the uh, the, the the public in these countries rather than uh, more than certainly those in government. Robert, thank you very much indeed for for your comments. That's what the programme is all about. It's all about opinions. Andrew, what's yours? Good morning, Ali. I think what amazes me, Ali, the the Russians had this guy Skripal in custody, I believe, for about eight years over in Russia. He was a double agent, wasn't he? So why not kill him then? I mean, in Stalin's day, he would have been battered senseless and shot in the back of the head, and that would have been the end of it. So you could argue the Russians had every opportunity to murder him when he was there, Ali, as a prisoner. And the other side of the Skripal coin is we don't know how he financed his luxury lifestyle, Ali. You know, where does all the money come from from somebody that hasn't worked, presumably, since he's came to Britain? So you don't know what circles this guy was messing about in. And, and I think, quite simply, I agree with your callers that this is utter nonsense from Theresa May, this saber-rattling crap that they're trying to get Trump and the rest of the European nations to back them. And quite simply, Russia would wipe the floor as it stands just now with the British Armed Forces anyway, Ali, and they're far superior. So, you know, I'm watching the Missiles of October as we speak, a 1974 film about the the Cuban Missile Crisis. You don't want to go back to that, Ali, Mm. under no circumstances. You know, we had good leaders in JFK and these guys in, in that particular time who could, you know, stand up and talk down the likes of Khrushchev. But... You know, I don't think the British are, are anything like tough enough. As they certainly they talk the talk, but they can't walk the walk, Ali. Okay, interesting comments again. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, Saul's joining me back in the studio. We've had a few coming in on social media, comments about various things. So uh, let's just do a, a quick clean up here, Saul. On you go, what you got first? Well, going to social media first, and Louise has messaged in, Good morning, about drivers and speed cameras. A big part of the problem there is always some self-entitled people and not just young ones who think laws don't apply to them and do what they want with total disregard for others, Ali. Okay, here's one in from Mary Harden. She says, uh, agree with you. Has the government not learned anything from weapons of mass destruction conspiracy? Thank you, Mary. An email now. Hi, Ali. I don't have any problem with the cameras on the A90. I live in Edsel and use the A90 all the time. But where I do have a problem is they have money for cameras but leave the potholes to get bigger and bigger. Seems to me they have money to generate income but don't care about the cost regarding what the motorist has to pay for bad roads, not taking anything into point regarding safety. The A90 between Forfar and Stracathro is like a dirt tra- track in places. Well, I've got one in from Alan. Alan, good morning to you. Says the installation of speed cameras does not deter speeding drivers. There are speed cameras on the A77, the 135-mile stretch of the A9. And having driven on both roads at the designated speed, I have often been overtaken by vehicles doing well in excess of speed limits. The only thing that will stop these drivers is for Police Scotland to revert to having numerous parked traffic cars and motorcycles patrol the roads. And Alan goes on to say, I've often driven from my home to England and seldom, if ever, see a Mart unit patrolling the road or even parked up on the observation ramps provided for the police. Let's get back to good old-fashioned policing where an offender can be dealt with at the time of the incident and not some time later after they have been traced. So there we are. That's, that's uh, the thoughts of Alan, Alan Montgomery. Thank you very much for that. Interesting that uh, Saul mentioned in one of his about the, the money 
money being spent on cameras, uh, but not on the state of the roads. Uh, this week, I was um, road testing various cars, but with one particular, and in my with my motoring journalist hat on, I was away with a company, an Italian company, and the lady uh, in who was in charge of the press office and used to bring quite a lot of um, press launches to Scotland uh, and hadn't for the last few years, said to, said to us today, well, said to us in the evening, she says, um, what's happened to Scotland's roads? She says, they are dreadful. She says, we've never, ever driven on roads like this before. And I said, would the state of the roads stop you bringing uh, press launches back here? And, oh, Absolutely. She says, you know, they, they're just dreadful. So I've mentioned this before that, you know, not only are the bad roads cause problems for those here who have to drive them, but it's costing us money as far as um, companies coming and doing uh, things like that, like a press launch. You know, they could be here for two or three weeks bringing journalists from all over Europe uh, to Scotland. But no, she says, no, no, the Scot Scottish road, she says, the worst I've ever seen. There's a comment on that. Uh, quarter to 12. Is that you for the moment? Yes. yes. Just say yes. Yes, 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 yes. They don't see you nodding your head on the radio. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Keep the calls coming in then. We've got 15 minutes left. O treble three twenty twenty four oh one. We've been talking about speed cameras and the Jones legacy uh, earlier on. That's the speed cameras on the A77 uh, and how they affect your driving. Uh, also talking about Russia. We're talking today also about uh, planning permission for houses and NIMBYs. Not in my, my backyard. Yes, we need more houses but you're not building them in my, my, my backyard. If you want to comment on any of those subjects or indeed any other subject. You're listening to Scotland's Talkin', the podcast. Join the conversation on Twitter at Scotland's Talkin'. Christine's in Stewarton. Good morning to you, Christine. How are you this morning? I'm fine, thank you. Good, good. Now, what would you like to talk about? Well, I'm coming under any other business. Right. My two things that are a real bugbear with me and many other people, and I can't understand why no more's been done about it, is the litter that lies about everywhere now. And a lot of it appears after this so-called recycling day, where stuff's allowed to fly about everywhere. But... The extent of the litter now is really bad. It's a disgrace. So much so that when you have someone visiting this country from Canada or somewhere else, they're commenting on it. The second thing I've got a bugbear about is why was ammonia added to our water without more being said about it? There's a lot of people don't know about this. Now, ammonia is residual. Once it's added to water, it never leaves it, unlike chlorine. So I would like to know if it kills the fish, which it does do. It kills fish. You've got to put more chemicals in the water to avoid killing the fish. Now, as we know, everything eventually recycles back into the rivers and the water, the seas. So mm. why are we not hearing about this? Ammonia, of all things, added to our water. We're told the Scottish water 
that the European countries do it, and I believe America does it. Is that supposed to make us feel better? Yeah, it's happening in another country, so it's okay people, for us. Yeah. I understand people on dialysis have got to go through a different treatment or do something because they can't use it. So why is it all right for us? I would like to know why nothing, there's been no great uh, noise about this, mm -hmm. nothing on the news, nothing. Why? Well, Christine, thank you for raising those two questions, very important questions. Um, I can't get answers for you this week because we are uh, really running out of time now on the programme, so I can't uh, start asking for answers. But I think you, the, you're quite right to uh, be asking that question regarding water, and uh, we shall see if we can start a, a debate off there and get someone from Scottish Water to answer that. As far as uh, 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 litter is concerned, I'm in total agreement with you. Um, the main roads, if, if you look on the verges of the roads, some councils manage to, to keep them clean, but it's a never-ending job. And, and you know, you're saying the, the, the rubbish comes from the, the recycling days, uh, uh, you know, and I, but it always comes back as well that, um, you know, you see bottles lying on grass verges of main roads and, and uh, sweetie packets and things. Uh, one council has even removed all their bins from laybys, uh, taking the bins away totally. So where do drivers put their rubbish then? You know, instead of just throwing them out the, the window, they would, you know, let's say pull into a layby and put them in the bins. But if the bins have gone, what do they do? Council saying they don't have enough funds. Thank you for raising them. Uh, we've got a couple more on social media we just want to squeeze in. Here's one from uh, Archie again. And he says, where's the photos of the Russians, the policeman and the doctor who helped? And why is she's not ill? So what do you got? Got one from Ronald on Twitter. The public want the Prime Minister to show us proof of Russian involvement. Why, when, who and how long they spied for MI6 would be a good start. OK, here's one that says, I think the situation with Russia being blamed with this nerve gas should have been looked into further so they had all the evidence in place before going on to say Russia were the ones to blame. Don't want to play Russian roulette and then find out it wasn't them after all. Another tweeter here who believes that Corbyn responded correctly to the Russian spy poisoning scandal. The evidence should have been given to the international bodies for verification and a sample sent to Russian authorities. There we go. That's it from us today for Scotland's Talking. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for your company. I'm Ali Bali. Thank you to Saul for doing the calls and looking after social media. And the whole show was produced by Rob Waller. Have a good week. Bye-bye. <laughs>